Welcome, everybody, to another edition of FinTech Talk. I'm your host, Patty Ramanathan, from the iValley Innovation Center in the San Francisco Bay Area. We have a great lineup of speakers from around the world on today's show. For those who are new here, iValley is a third-generation startup factory in the Bay Area, and we host these FinTech Talks to talk about the future we're building with our partners and startups. We've had great engagement with these, with these sessions on Clubhouse with topics ranging, ranging from the future of crypto economy to embedded finance to the future of wealth management um, to crypto startups from around the world, um, recently small business fintech, and even eclectic topics like the future of me media and events in this post-COVID world. Today's session is about customer engagement, uh, the customer engagement imperative in financial services. We have a great lineup of speakers who I will introduce momentarily. Let me start with this quote, though, from Gary Vaynerchuk. To get customers, you need to go from the heart to the brain and to the wallet. Let that sink in. I'll repeat. To get customers, you need to go from the heart to the brain to the wallet. I look at that as a brilliant statement that looks at three places where you can get it right or wrong with customer experience, the heart, the brain, and the wallet. And the recent news that ought to make us sit up is the $29 billion acquisition uh, by Square of uh, Afterpay, a uh, buy now, pay later company. Uh, but the stats around Afterpay is what's staggering. They had 90 plus percent repeat customer and a revenue by GMV gross uh, merchandise volume of over 4.3. 5%. Square's a little over 2.5. So it's all about making customer experience frictionless and pleasant and honor privacy at the same time. So let's get to it. I am delighted to welcome an eclectic group of dynamic, influential visionaries who are shaping our understanding of customer experience. Gertie Devarishi, Chief Growth Officer at Flybits. You have Finkelstein, co-founder at Q Privacy. G. Scott Peters Patterson, founder and executive executive chairman at Future Vault. And Rockwell Clancy, also known as Rocky Clancy, financial services expert formerly with JD Power. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Sure. Thank you. Let's let, great. Yeah, let's do a start. Um, a round of introduction. Do tell us about yourself, what you're doing, where you're from, and anything you want to share with the group. Maybe start uh, with Jersey. Well, thank you, Patty. Uh, thank you for hosting. Thank you to my colleagues for joining the panel today. And uh, well, thank you to everyone who joined us uh, in the listening end. I mean, I look forward to our conversation and discussion. As, um, as you mentioned, I'm currently the uh, a co-founder and chief growth officer at Flybits. Um, I have an engineering background myself, just like everybody else when we put the company together. And I've been lucky to be um, part of a number of teams uh, within Flybits, including customer success, product management strategy, and most recently also having some partnerships and consulting with some of the world's leading financial institutions. Prior to Flybits, uh, as an engineer, I practiced my skills at leading institutions in tech and banking companies. Um, a little bit of at Flybits, maybe. Um, I would say the Flybits, probably the 
a very fast way to translate and transform data from its raw format into experiences with the customer at the center. The company itself has a, you know, a DNA that's rooted in deep tech. Uh, we were spun off by a research, uh, by research institutions and ac academic institutions and very quickly gained significant commercial success, success at a global level. We also were fortunate to be backed by world leading brands like MasterCard, TD Bank, Point72 Ventures, City Ventures, um, Information Venture Partners, I don't want to forget anyone, ReInventure, which is essentially the investment arm of Westpac, uh, Vodafone, Bosch, and others. Our executive team is a diverse group of leaders uh, spearheading growth and innovation across engineering, product, uh, partnerships, operation. And our board of directors and advisor board represents industry experts and globally recognized thought leaders across the board. We have deployments pretty much anywhere in the world from Latin America to U.S., Canada, um, Europe, Middle East and Africa, and most recently also opened our Singapore office. Um, myself, I am located in Toronto, Canada. Welcome. Thanks. That, that's awesome. And a lot, lot of traction you have both on the customer side, on investment side. Uh, great space on converting data to experiences. Love that phrase. Would love to drill down as we go in into the show today. Thank you, um, Garrity. Looking forward. Um, you have? Maybe you want to go next? Yes, thank you. Um, you are Finkelstein. I'm uh, uh, from Tel Aviv in Israel, co-founder at uh, Privacy. I've been working in, uh, for many years in large global organizations, uh, lived in, uh, in, in Australia, in, in Beijing, China, in Israel, used to travel to the U.S. every month for four for years, um, and, and then uh, became a co-founder at, uh, at Q Privacy. And we help a little bit about, about what we do. We are a startup, a growing startup. We help organizations like banks and insurance companies to fully utilize advanced and, and big data technologies within their digital channels on the website, on the mobile applications, while, while enabling them to maintain uh, uh, data security and privacy. Because when you use those technologies, everything is exposed to, to, to big data organizations and, and, and those. So that's what we do. Uh, we call it uh, digital freedom. Uh, and, and I'll elaborate later, but uh, and, and that's what we do. No, love that. Yeah, privacy is a big, um, big, big topic now everywhere. I think more so in some locales than than North America and U.S. But love, love that thread. You're almost a nemesis for big tech, so <laughs> would would like to uh, learn a little bit more how how you're solving that and keeping the balance of of monetization and privacy. Thank you, you have, and welcome. Thank you, uh, Scott. Did you want to go next? Sure. Uh, I would define my. My kind of vocational life uh, as uh, someone that's been active my entire life in technology as it overlaps with either media or financial services. Uh, on the media front, I was very lucky. Uh, I was the second investor in Lionsgate Entertainment when we started the company in 1997. 
I've been involved ever since. It's been an incredible journey and ride. And, and I think the company has fantastic leadership and has pioneered a whole series of things. I uh, was lucky enough to co-found a company called Jump TV many years ago that Morgan Stanley took public. And we sold that business a couple of years ago to Endeavor that just went public. And it is their live streaming arm. Uh, we should have been Netflix, but it was still uh, very successful nevertheless. Not that we, we, we didn't get anywhere near what they achieved, but when we did sell, it was the largest live streaming company in the world. And a company I'm heavily involved in as chairman today on the media front, which I'm very proud of, that's taken a number of years to take hold is called The Q India. And it's uh, the fastest growing television channel focused on the creator economy in India. And that's that's been a lot of fun on the media side. On the financial services side, which is obviously what today's discussion is about, Patty, I, uh, I started life as a financial advisor. I was an investment banker. I focused on technology. Uh, I ended up building what became one of the top technology investment banks uh, in North America. I was lucky enough to serve as chairman of the Toronto Venture Stock Exchange many moons ago. And that's all led me to uh, being involved as co-founder and chairman of Future Vault, which uh, is a company I'm incredibly excited about. And we're pioneering what we call digital personal life management, much the same way that Dropbox and OneDrive and Google Drive have uh, obviously pioneered and created a massive space in personal document management. We believe that everyone, everyone on this call and everyone we all know within five years will say my stuff and their stuff being their personal, their financial and legal documents uh, is somewhere. And that might be the Fidelity Vault, the Vanguard Vault, the First St. Louis Bank Vault. It might be their HMO Vault, their Union Vault, their Pension Fund Vault, but it will be delivered to them uh, by one of their uh, key relationships in life. And they'll begin to store everything from their passport to their bank statements, to their vaccination records, to their kids' report cards. Uh, and going forward, we'll look back and say, remember a day when you didn't have everything? Now, some people think it's like Dropbox, but there's a whole series of reasons why it's completely different and why I think it's going to be one of the biggest new business categories uh, to be created in the next decade. Love that. Love that. I, I'm ready to use that, Scott. I don't know that you're available now here in California, but, but um, I love that product idea. And I think um, the horizontals like the drops in the box, I, I think a little bit more verticalized and a little bit more personalized is a great idea. I would love to learn more uh, today in the show and, and love your diverse background. I know I hear um, every company is a media company now with, with uh, social media and freelance media like Substack and, and things like platforms like Clubhouse. Um, so you, you've been on kind of before that kind of era. So, so great, great to have insights from that as well. Uh, thank you and welcome, Scott. Last but not least, um, Rocky, um, you, um, your opening remarks, please. Uh, thanks, Patty, and uh, you know I'm humbled by my uh, my distinguished uh, colleagues on the panel, um, but uh, absolutely glad to be here. Um, I've spent 30 plus years in the financial services industry as a banker, um, as a consultant, and a researcher, and in that latter role, um, uh, started the financial services practice at JD Power and Associates, and. Uh, there we introduced the public rankings and banking, credit card, mortgage, wealth management, and so on. Um, 
basically identify the drivers of customer satisfaction and loyalty, and then use those um, as part of a consulting practice to help um, our clients um, set up measurement and management systems to improve the customer experience. And in, and in doing that, I mean, looking, looking back over, we did this about the mid-2000s and started, and uh, there's been a significant change in uh, satisfaction levels, particularly in company in uh, industries that were noted for, you know, customers, you know, hating them, um, like credit card, like mortgage. And, um, you know, so we, we've definitely seen improvement and, and, uh, and, you know, so uh, glad to have been a part of that. Um, right now I am um, doing a few things, I'm consulting uh, with banks on strategy and marketing, uh, with the customer at the center, uh, working with a couple of startups. One is a cybersecurity company, the other is, uh, the best way to say it would be a, a climate change uh, mitigation company um, that uh, uses the origination and trading of carbon credits to, um, to drive um, climate change mitigation, and then also leverages um, consumer activity to help fund some of those. And um, other than that, I'm uh, working with, you know, and sort of my, my role in life, I think, is to be, to represent the voice of the customer in the companies that I work with, on the boards that I represent, and, uh, and then that's about it. Very looking forward to the conversation. No, awesome. And, and ESG, you brought up climate change and all that. That's a topic that we've talked about in the show. It, it, it's up and coming and the intersection into financial services are like responsible spending and, and, and even credit card companies, asset management, wealth management firms are doing that. So if you get time, we'll get into that, Rocky. But but great background or research and um, deep domain expertise in financial services. So welcome. We'd love to um, hear your insights today. Thank you. Um, so for those in the audience, um, we have a good critical mass, but don't be shy. Hit the plus button if you um, love what you heard from from the folks on stage. And if you want a friend to join the conversation, easy way to do that in Clubhouse. Well, you can use other channels like Twitter and and, and WhatsApp and Signal and Telegram and whatnot. But Clubhouse has this little plus button and you can invite your friends to join the conversation. So please do that. Don't hesitate. We're, we have a lovely lineup of uh, topics and, and some great speakers here today. So maybe kind of go a little bit reverse in the order. Um, Rocky, um, you've been doing a lot of research into the space for a long time. Set the stage for us on the topic at hand, right? How the role of customer uh, engagement has evolved, especially in financial services. And then we'll maybe we'll go around the table and talk about the specific problems that uh, Flybit's Q Privacy and Future Vault are addressing. So Rocky, um, over to you. Think Rocky, you're uh, you're on mute. Thank you. That always helps. Um, so what I was saying is that the um, the evolution of customer experience in financial services has been pretty quick, and and this is in an industry where um, you know things like cross sell 
uh, calling programs, et cetera, were being talked about in the 50s and the 60s. So a lot of the topics are, you know, don't change much. They just get a new uh, a new code on. And but in financial, but it as it relates to customer experience, we've really seen some fairly dramatic change. Um, the I think it's fair to say that the although people would argue about the fairness of it is that um, for years financial services companies made money on the the ignorance and inertia of their customers. You know, they're betting basically that their customers, you know, to put it more crassly, were too stupid or too lazy to um, really pay attention to what was going on. And, you know, through a series of gotcha fees, um, they would, uh, you know, make a significant amount of revenue. I mean, uh, at one point in the industry, about a third of uh, overall revenue came from overdraft fees, which is, you know, startling. But as you look Today, I'm with the challenger banks really foregoing that kind of fee and now a lot of the larger banks taking a serious look and, and some even rolling back at this point on um, the use of, 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 of overdraft fees. Um, in the last couple of years, we have seen, um, I mean, well, the pandemic has been sort of a good experiment or a interesting experiment. We, we clearly saw a, a big jump in digital um, use. The kind of a couple of interesting things there is that um, obviously use overall increased. Uh, BAI did a study that, you know, reported 50, 60 percent of consumers saying they had increased their digital use. Um, and that um, the vast majority of those continue or are planning to continue, um, you know, that level of use. Uh, J.D. Power, you know, in one of their, you know, sort of longitudinal studies found that in a single year, the people that report that they only use digital banking channels went from 30 percent to over 40 percent. Um, and as a result, the overall satisfaction in the industry went up fairly dramatically in uh, you know, from 2020 to 2021. Interestingly, though, the um, the digital only banks, there was a drop in in satisfaction, and the and the reason for that is they were getting a lot more volume than they were used to, a lot more you new customers, and um, so we were sort of in this uh, uh, world where the two. Um, you know, sort of the traditional, you know, the big banks, the smaller banks, the challenger banks are are kind of converging in a way. Um, and it will be, you know, interesting to see how it sort of plays out um, in, in the coming years. No, interesting. Um, and um, Gertie, if I can go to you, um, I think uh, Rocky mentioned uh, the point about um, the product or experience being more important than the product. I think you live and breathe that at Flies Bits or, or believe in that. So tell us, tell us about, uh, about it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We see this across the board. I mean, in the consumer space, not only in the banking space or financial services where, which we service, right? I mean, think about everybody has this example of Uber, but it's a very good example because is the experience that created a, a much more valuable industry than the underlying product itself. So the underlying product is transportation point A to point B, but the ability of you know 
not exchanging cash, knowing where the driver is, et cetera, created a whole different paradigm. And, and the same thing is actually being created in the financial services industry. But one thing that we are focused particularly is in terms of how to translate and transform the data, which is in the raw format as it sits across systems and, and sort of convert that into experiences with the customer at the center. I mean, Rocky mentioned a little bit until now, a lot of even those perceived experiences may have been from, a, from an inside out view in terms of what is the most profitable uh, product and so on. But also there is another view, which is that sort of outside in, the customer uh, view. And that customer centricity is something that we believe can lead to better life uh, for the end consumers or the customers of the financial institution, but also at the same time result in both quantitative and qualitative results for the FIs that service them. And so one thing that we're looking at in terms of to treat data as an asset, and when you treat it as such, you are then now able to convert that data into value for all parties involved. So one thing that we focus in terms of creating the contextual engagement, um, which is specifically designed for the financial industry and helping banks to transform their channels into these highly predictive um, recommendation services. So making it easier, not only essentially to buy a home under the right moments in time when you're looking for it, you have the right credit, you have, um, but also how do you connect that product to other uh, adjacent services that could be provided by other verticals? Uh, you're going to need a utility service. You're going to need a cable service, potentially, depending, but definitely the internet. Um, furniture and all of these come together. And so we bring all of these different services to create those unique experiences for the consumers to make their lives better. Wonderful. A lot to unpack there, um, Gertie, and uh, we'll, we'll get there, but let me get the others <clears throat> kind of talk a little bit about their, um, their products too. I, I know Gertie talked about data to experience. Uh, Scott, today, even in the digitized world, there, there's a lot of interactions and transactions, but we still live with a lot of documents, like you mentioned in your uh, opening remarks, and we have safe deposit box at a bank, but uh, I don't know of any banks that's <clears throat> offering a digital vault for digital documents or, or digital everything, even maybe crypto in the future. Um, I think some banks have tried that. You are addressing that problem. So tell us about that and how that fits into the larger picture around customer experience and engagement. Well, that's a perfect tee up. We actually have a number of discussions going on with some banks that have been actually uh, sharing that they're debating getting rid of their uh, safety deposit box. It's usually in downtown locations in big cities and very expensive real estate and increasingly uh, of less value, certainly as it relates to paper documentation. It's obviously very relevant for jewelry and watches and, and, that, th and that type of uh, savings. But uh, we actually think a, a companion digital vault to go with a conventional safety deposit box is the best of all worlds. That's not our key focus, but it's certainly an element of it. I mean, something that Gertie said, uh, we say it, he said, uh, uh, you know, that uh, data is an asset class. We've been saying since we started the company in 2015 that your personal information is an asset class and should be treated that way. And in fact, we think the way our technology platform works 
that uh, literally the way the world does business is going to change. And an example is uh, when I uh, contacted my life insurance agent and told him about Future Vault, I said, I love you like a brother, want you to continue to be my agent, but want you to populate my Future Vault. And so you'd think maybe there might be some pushback. Uh, what, you're asking me to do something additionally other than, you know, service the you know, the nature of whatever the terms are of my insurance policies. But the reality is so many, um, so many financial services products have become commoditized. And so for an intermediary of any sort to be able to add more value uh, is a big opportunity. And it adds a lot of value. So that particular insurance agent, he was permissioned into my future vault and he spent whatever it took him. I happen to have a lot of life insurance and accompanying, you know, medical physicals I had to obtain the insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And he took the time to populate it. I'll give you one more example that, you know, and I could give you 50, but one more is I, I took a loan out in New York for some farming interests I have in uh, California and I got a commercial loan uh, and the banker has a quarterly uh, commercial loan reaffirmation kind of test to my income and net worth, et cetera. And uh, one of my financial people said that it took her the better part of a day to fill out the, the questionnaire for the bank. Well, we permissioned in that banker. And the day I knew we really, really had something was the day I got the email literally uh, the next day from the banker saying, wow, that's really cool. This future vault, you're only missing two documents. And Patty, if you pause for a second, we just changed that bank's protocol. Instead of me and my team preparing the 30 documents, they went in, they were permissioned, they could see my bank accounts, my other, um, the other documentation that I had, affirming my income, et cetera. They did the work. And the way our platform works is there's a complete fiduciary trail. Every movement, every mouse click, every download that takes place. So when I say changing the world the way it does business, I think, and not just Future Vault, but if you see most of the financial services, fintech trends, they're, they're outsourcing the power to the consumer. And in this case, having the consumer being at the center and saying, no, if you want to be my insurance agent, you do the work. If you want to be the banker, you're going to do the work. If you want to sell me a mortgage, you're going to do the work. And I think we play right in the center of that. But I think it applies across the board to your greater question about what's happening with respect to customer service. Yeah, no, love that. It, it it can potentially transform, create huge efficiencies in in loan originations, insurance underwriting, and other things. The the, the couple of examples you took, no, love that. And and looking forward to this being more widely available. And this might be an area that others have an eye on it too, right? Big tech or others uh, coming up with kind of their own offerings. Um, thank you, um, thank you, Scott. Um, you have, um, I think, a little bit of a pivot, right? So we talked a lot about data as an asset class, the value side of things, but customer data and security uh, and, and data security and privacy are big issues in the banking industry, but not just in banking, but just across the board, even in big tech now. Uh, privacy regulations have become a huge matter, and there are also reputational and social issues. So Q Privacy is addressing that. So talk a little bit about that angle um, in this discussion as well. Okay. So nowadays, most of the customer engagement is, is done through the, the website, the mobile application. We, we all know that. And any competitive business, especially banks who now compete with, with other organizations, 
must have advanced technologies within its digital channels like third-party analytics and big data services in order to, to have a good customer experience to increase engagement and, and to grow its revenues. But those technologies like include things like Facebook Pixel and Google Analytics and dozens more uh, third-party services are exposed exposed to your client to, to the bank client's private data. Uh, people don't know that whenever they look for a loan or for a mortgage or just to open an account, Facebook or Google knows about it. Uh, and, 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 and you're saying other other uh, industries just just think of a hospital that someone is looking for a for a, a, a psychiatrist for the child uh, and, and, and that goes to Google and that goes to Facebook and and we, we all know that they follow us but people don't know how they're not really listening to our phones what they do they're just everywhere they provide analytics they provide marketing services advertising customer experience improvement services but while they're doing it and and and, and you know everything is exposed and those are the banks and the hospitals that actually implement those services within the digital channels so uh, we, we at Q Privacy, we enable banks, uh, 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 and mostly in the financial services, also insurance companies and, and others, to use those important technologies by either uh, an, an anonymizing or masking or even encrypting data. So no customer data stays, uh, 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 the, the customer data is actually stays secure and private while the bank can fully utilize their data on their side. And, and, you know, people asking us, so, so, so how do they know what's happening? And, and, and I, I can't go too much to details about the technology. It includes a, a few, few patents and, and amazing technology um, and, and AI and, and this kind of stuff. Uh, but our clients, while they use this, the, the technology, they actually add more third-party services. They, they enrich the, the level of, of of analytics, uh, um, they add chats and bots and, and other services. Uh, and by by doing that, uh, they're not just making by using our services. They're not just uh, our software. They're not just making the the channel, the digital channel, more secure, more private. Um, they 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 provide you the clients a, a better engagement, better understanding of of how everything works within the digital channel, uh, the marketing and campaign uh, uh, management capability. Uh, increase dramatically, so so that's what we do. We we make sure that no private data is exposed to those that not don't need to 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 get it. Um, so all your track of what you do, what you're looking for, um, it's just not there, not there to use or or or, or, or to share. Uh, I can just give an example. Whenever I you know go to clients. And, and I demonstrate our technology. I, I usually go just to the website and looking for the bank uh, loan page. And it takes sometimes 15 minutes to 30 minutes until I get uh, uh, text messages and, and from other companies, other banks, sometimes even phishing. So we protect that. Uh, once we're there, you know, the client's private data is safe. No credit card number will go out. No social security will go out. Your interest will not go out. Even what you're looking at the screen, uh, you know, sometimes they even follow your 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 mouse movement. So we we secure that, and uh, we enable digital freedom. We enable them to to expand the digital channel to be more competitive, 
um, and, and grow. Great, great. True customer centricity in some ways, right? So the customers in control what they want to share and what they don't, and 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 that's that's cool. Meaning that you're able to use AI and ML to kind of implement something like that. Yeah, I would love to um, kind of get into it a little bit more. But thank you, thank you, you have. Um, I, I want to do. We have a lot of folks coming in, so I want to do a quick room reset uh, for those who are just joining. You're listening to the FinTech Talk Show. I'm your host, Patty Ramanathan. We're speaking to a very diverse group with sophisticated perspectives on customer engagement imperative in financial services, as you just heard. Um, listeners may find it very useful to understand how the very definition of customer engagement is changing. How do you balance highly tailored engagements with security and privacy? If you want to learn more, don't go anywhere. And as I said earlier, if you have a friend or friends who would like this topic, use the plus button and nudge them to join the room. Don't be shy. That's what friends do to friends. And I saw some hands being raised. If you want to participate in the conversation, we love that. Just raise your hand. But given that we're recording the show, uh, please use the back channel feature of Clubhouse and send me your question and also permission that we can record your voice. Um, I'd appreciate it. And I'll bring you up in the stage. So uh, we would love to um, have um, um, audience engagement. Um, Going back to our topic, um, I think I love that phrase, data as an asset class, right? Um, and maybe an open question for the group. Anyone can take this on. Um, why have financial institutions who have the custody of a lot of important data, like financial data and, and interaction data, uh, needs data, everything, right? More than, say, some of the other industries have. Um, why have they not been able to uh, monetize or leverage it in a way that some others, such as uh, big tech have and 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 maybe kind of a follow on to that or follow up to that would be are is that changing right are banks getting better position but let's let's attack why banks have not been able to and any patty i could start at least um what what we have seen is that the for in, in simple terms that the task is just overwhelming um there is so much data and there is there's so many things that can be done with it that the projects that start around i mean back in the late 90s it was data warehousing and there was all sorts of applications that could be used for etc and those things sort of collapsed under their own weight and then um, every five years or so, another sort of surge of activity around it, and, and they, they uh, and end up with similar fates. Um, the, a suggestion would be that, or where it's most effective, is where the use case is, is manageable. And so as an example, in the financial services world right now, uh, or I'm sorry, in the customer experience world, um, the... Um, typically, like what a JD Power does is they ask, you know, how satisfied are you? And then they, they basically drill down into the root cause of that based on what you say. Um, so it's like, I'm this satisfied. And then how many problems did you have? What is your opinion of this, that, and the other thing? And from that, they derive um, 
you know, the, the, the drivers of satisfaction. But the fact is, people rarely know why they, people don't have a great grasp on why they feel the way they do or why they do the things they do. So much better, take the day, the transactional data, the behavioral data um, that would say here, you know, start with the, the end point being uh, or the dependent variable being um, what's your overall satisfaction. And then from there, look at the patterns of experience that that person has had in the data or persons with similar um, feelings having the data compare those to people that have a higher level or a lower level of satisfaction, you can begin to see in the data, these are the experiences people have had. And, you know, this type of experience and this type of speed bump and this type of problem drives lower levels of satisfaction, whereas another type, a set of interactions or uh, the resolution of an issue lead to higher levels of satisfaction. But don't leave it to the customer, you know, don't ask them what they did or what, you know, look at what they did. You know, we, we, we you know, have absolute facts around the experience that the customer went through. And from that, we can derive what's going to drive a better experience. But it all boils down to is what is our objective and getting very clear around that and then going forward. Yeah, go ahead, Gardy. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. I mean, one well, first of all, there maybe there was not a lot of need uh, to treat data as an asset. Um, I think we have certain competitive threats now that uh, make it a necessity, no longer a luxury to be using data as an asset. I mean, I believe that um, as banks try to build these systems around core pillars, um, utilizing some of their strengths, in my opinion, when it comes to data, one of their strengths would be trust. Um, trust is definitely something the banks, in my opinion, have a higher uh, standing than what uh, big tech would have. I mean, after all, we trust them with their money. There's no need, no reason why that you know money or uh, money vault shouldn't be a data vault for us. We talked about vaults a little bit, um, and then coupled that with the design paradigms to rival some of the technology front. And keeping data in the middle, I think, would be a good way. And keeping the existing systems as they are uh, disparate without having to unify them because they pose security risks as well. So these are some of the, 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 the trends that could be followed to build such systems. Now, why haven't it done? It's a, I mean, every company has a, has a specific DNA. I mean, it's hard for a bank to be a tech company. And the other way around, too. I mean, tech companies are partnering with banks. Uh, it's very, very hard to change the DNA of an organization, just like it is of one of a person. And so the need to, the DNA, the, the sort of sometimes the inability to do such has contributed. But now I think we are experiencing a boom. We have the ability and definitely the need and the, and the passion to, 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 to utilize data at a greater scale. Great points. Go ahead. You have, you were trying to get in there. Yeah, um, banks are not normal businesses. Um, they need to comply with increasing regulations and, and, and now all those privacy regulations that are coming in. And 
they, they need to be very careful how they use the client data. And what we see is that banks uh, uh, use much less big data services due to those limitations. Uh, and they like, lack the capability of, of flexibility uh, to, use, to do anything they want. And, and you know, those are large organizations uh, mostly. Um, everything needs to be scrutinized. Everything needs to be under control. Um, so, so they are kind of behind in terms of using uh, advanced technologies, and and that's where other services, other you know, now other organizations, everyone is becoming uh, financial services, um, and 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 that's a struggle for 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 banks these days. Yeah, the the tides moving both ways in many ways, right? So, all, everyone wants to become a tech company. But then everyone wants to provide embedded finance because that's where kind of the margins are higher, especially when you get to interchange and assets and other things. So, yeah, it's an interesting point you brought about. But anything else? So I heard um, complexity um, uh, and, and tracking behavior versus actual surveys. Not a lot of need. Um, the trust factor, not the DNA, like the banks are not tech companies aspects, although that's changing. Um, a regulatory aspect that you have uh, bought in just um, uh, last there. Um, anything else um, you think that has um, made um, banks and financial institution uh, struggle a little bit to transform data to value? Uh, the, the silos of um, marketing, uh, the data organization, um, you know, the regulatory component that comes in. Um, I've worked with large banks where you talk to the data organization and they have, what they have is just amazing. I mean, they have a, you know, a, you know, a, a database with and the ability to do all sorts of things. And then when you go over to the marketing uh, area and you, you ask like, well, why, you know, you have this, that, and the other thing in the data organization, why aren't you using those? And it's almost like, what? We, we don't know we have that. And it's, it's surprising how the, the lack of communication goes back and forth. And again, I think it comes down to having a very clear objective, like this is what we're going to try to accomplish. You know, here are the use cases that we can use. Here are the ones that are gonna have the biggest payoff. Here's a level of complexity and start to hammer those down. And rather than, you know, I think there's a, a, a tendency to wanna to boil the ocean as opposed to saying, let's just, you know, eat this elephant one bite at a time. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's uh, it's not that if you just anoint a chief data officer and, and build an enterprise data warehouse or a data lake that everything feeds in doesn't mean you're suddenly starting to realize data as a value. It's a lot around the mindset, the incentives and stuff. That's a great point, um, Rocky. Uh, but what's changing now? How can this be changed? I heard in some of your remarks that now they're well positioned. Um, there's the privacy component that's coming in and and of course you guys are building ip that the banks can white label or leverage so talk a little bit about that how how are banks now better positioned um going forward maybe maybe scott if you want to go first on that 
Well, as I, as I listen to this conversation, I think it's really interesting because one of the things we debate um, all day long is we spend so much time with the conventional institutions and, and basically uh, advocate and, and evangelize for what you said. I mean, isn't this obvious? You've got somebody that has a car loan and you make them go through the exact same application effort for a mortgage. And yet it's, it's there. Um, and or, you know, you've got somebody uh, in your digital marketing group, uh, you know, going through the exercise of trying to determine who's interested in, in car loans when you actually have all the data um, because of, of, you know, however you want to slice and dice the, the elements of the assets that they've identified in connection with their mortgage, as an example. And where I'm going with this, Patty, is that we wonder a lot why we're not spending most of our time on the upstarts, on the fintechs, on the ones that are growing like weeds because they are appealing to the, the, the native digital uh, kids and the Gen Zs and the millennials. And, you know, the point made earlier about DNA, um, you know, I, I, we show up and say, you know, this is really, really obvious. If you offer the, you know, the branded vault, to your end customer, and um, and I'll do a tiny tangent, but I hope it kind of ties it together. You started off with a quote, to get customers, it's about the heart, then the brain, and the wallet. And the other day, we had probably our fourth presentation to a very large credit union that's contemplating deploying the Future Vault platform, which would mean that their credit union members would get their monthly statements, their year-end tax, and all their information via uh, the, the name of that credit union's vault, so white labeled. And in example, I said, the key to this, though, is that by using our technology, you can allow your end customers to use it to store things that are unrelated to your relationship, that have nothing to do with the fact that they have a loan from the credit union or a savings account with the credit union. And the example I gave was a, a recent one where I went to get some eyeglasses uh, not too far from my uh, cottage, and um, I, I picked out the glasses and the lady uh, said, I need your prescription. And I said, I'm a minus 1.75. And she said, oh, that's great if I could just get your prescription. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm certain I'm a minus 1.75. She said, oh, I have to see the actual prescription. So I went to my iPhone. In my case, I'm a direct customer of Future Vault. That's very rare. We're B2B to C. So it would have been the credit union's vault. But I, I opened the app and I searched uh, eyeglass prescription and it came up immediately. And, and what happened in, in real life and what I said to this credit union was at that moment when I just saved an enormous amount of time getting my eyeglass prescription because it was at my fingertips. Yes, I could have had that in Dropbox, but I had it in the vault delivered to me by that credit union. They just got my mind share. They just got my brain and they got my heart. And then I'm going to be more loyal to them with their wallet. So I actually think it's very, what, what, what I'm trying to get at is we're seeing the transformation in, in, in real time. I mean, you're seeing the fintech startups uh, operate on a basis that appeals to the consumer and, and they're winning in large numbers, particularly the young consumers. But when, when if, if we're right with our Future Vault thesis, and it sounds like Flybits is a very similar thesis, maybe coming at it from a different direction, uh, I think you're going to see the financial services companies, there'll be some pioneers, and then there'll be some laggards, but they're going to have to race to catch up because 
the current methodology for a conventional bank or credit union to compete on, you know, how much you get by putting your money in a savings account, or if you open account, you get, you know, a, an iPad or something like that. That is, is not a strong enough value proposition and strong enough value differentiation. I do believe we're headed to a world in which the value proposition will extend beyond the simple nature of the direct uh, interaction between the financial services company and the consumer. Sounds good. The true, true outside in and um, rather than just inside out. That was a compelling use case, the I, I prescription. So, Gertie, maybe go to you. How does Flybits kind of some of the hyper-personalization that you can achieve or some contextual yeah. kind of break it down, get, give us some live examples like what you can do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, going back to what you said, what has changed? Well, companies like Flybits and FutureVault and QPrivacy and others have come about that are thinking about how to do things a little bit differently. I mean, even today, if you think about how does a financial institution procure uh, software, to buy a platform, integrate through many years, then you need to hire outside help to scale it and extract value from your investment. All of this is prohibitive when it comes to the amount of time that it takes to get there. So when we created our company, for example, one of our sort of focus was the go-to-market. We consider go-to-market to be a major competitive advantage. If it takes too long, might as well not do it. So our funding team member used that as the main pain point to solve for. And so we use, for example, integration models that do not displace existing assets, but rather create a, a subtraction layer on top of those different systems. So you don't have to go and build expensive data lakes uh, when it comes to the ingestion part of our platform. Um, so you can do all of that without that expense. Um, then we have created and essentially mapped the anatomy of the bank or the financial institution as insurance into a set of experiences. Because one thing that we didn't want to is provide all this raw power, but the same old habits would actually encumber the new platform. So we've built, for example, the best services for wealth, the best type of experiences for cars, the best type of experiences, and we continue to evolve those. But that takes a lot of the guesswork out. And being global in nature, we can take learnings from various geographies and bring them in place. Um, for example, from a car's perspective, I'll just give you some examples. If I have bought a ticket with this uh, type of a credit card that has some sort of loyalty and gives me a lounge access and it happened to be that my plane is delayed and that is the moment in time for that type of benefit to be uh, shown to me and to be presented and to be made aware of. I mean, even today when I go and rent a car, I don't know if I should pay for the insurance or not. Even though I'm paying with this credit card, I kind of think it covers me, but I really don't know. It would be good to actually know at that moment in time that things would help me both be more efficient from an expense perspective, but also take the guesswork out. So that's what we do. We take all of this different sort of services uh, and benefits and systems that inform, but we take it all the way to the channel layer so that you don't have to start integrating disparate uh, investments while not having to displace the existing underlying uh, data sets and uh, data assets that inform our system. No. Um... Wonderful, meaning I, lo I love the um, 
the hyper-personalization and contextual um, nature of that experience, right? And that it's all about that. Um, you have maybe go to you, right? At least in my personal opinion, the regulatory um, aspects around privacy and the other things that are coming in, uh, that is actually a blessing maybe for financial institutions as we go forward, kind of in this broad topic of data as an asset class. And privacy and consent comes in um, forefront there, right? So it is, it is. I see that as a plus. Uh, but talk a little bit about your perspective on that. And I know, Verdi, maybe take take your insights on that as well, because uh, I did see that Flybits has done some public announcements in Canada, I think, with media and things around that. But maybe first go to UAV and, and, and talk about um, the privacy and consent uh, Yes, and, and, and I do think it's it's all those privacy regulations like the CCPA in California, CPRA, New York Shield, Washington Act of Privacy and others. It's it's an opportunity for banks. Um, I mean, banks, their advantage is their reliability. Um, um, and, and if they can position themselves uh, uh, again as the lead, as, as, you know, the leading in, in, in their terms, it's a huge adventure. And, and when we talk about data, we all know that nowadays data is everything, but, but it's about how you gather the data. It's about how you analyze the data and how you use the data. And, and, um, and, and in order to be efficient, you need to develop, and you, you can't develop everything yourself nowadays as, as, as it was in the past. You need to, to use external services, third-party services. Take, take for example, example onboarding. Um, a bank that doesn't have that develop its uh, its own uh, uh, capabilities, it will take probably three days to to one week just to get a new customer on onboarding and and get a new bank account or, or credit card. But if you use big data services and if you use uh, other partners, it it can be done in minutes. Um, but now banks are limited, and that's where where we come through. Um, just take, for example, Bloomberg website. When you go to Bloomberg's website, you will find something like 70 uh, different third-party services just on the website. And everyone is collecting data and sharing data, and everyone knows what you're looking for. Banks cannot allow that. And what we see is that banks, let's say you just go to the landing page of uh, one of the largest banks, I don't want to say names, you will see something like, 30 different third parties, but once the client goes into the bank, to, to the savings account or the to operational area where everything is being done, they they remove everything. They leave one, two, maybe three, you know, third party services. They have, uh, um, they, they can't really know what the customer is doing. They don't understand the client experience very well. The campaign management capabilities is very low. Um, it's very hard to improve the services, to engage with the customer, to, to get the interest of the customer of, 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 of its own services, how to get it back to it. So, and, and that's what we allow. Once once you can use all those new technologies, and, and those technologies just increase. I mean, there's more and more and more capabilities. And, um, and, and if you can use those freely without exposing your client's data uh, uh, to, to, you know, all those big organizations, um, then then everything is possible, and you can be and, and the bank can back can be competitive, reliable, uh, withstand within regulation, 
uh, without compromising uh, client privacy. So, so I think it's a great opportunity, um, and and uh, we try to help that with that. No, great. Before I go back to Gertie, um, audience, I know several of you have raised hands, but as I said earlier, maybe you didn't catch it. You have to kind of back channel me the messaging thing on Clubhouse saying that it's okay to record your voice when you come up stage. Uh, unless you do that, I can't bring you up. Would love audience engagement. So do, do come in, just back channel me and raise your hand and I will uh, bring you up for your direct questions to our um, guest. Um, Gertie, I, I, I know I, yeah. I, you, you um, sent a fly that sent open letter to Canada's top new, national newspapers, the Globe and the uh, Mail, um, talking about uh, embracing both the potential of data and the industry's responsibility to protect it and use it wisely, kind of the privacy and the consent that we're talking about. Can you elaborate on why you issued that open letter and and the change you're hoping that to drive? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it also feeds a little bit in terms of what Johan mentioned, right? I mean, most of the experiences or all of the experience actually should be privacy preserving in nature. But just to go back in terms of, um, as we wrote that open letter, I mean, as a company, we observed a sort of a big trend, of course, you know, everyone is talking about AI, it's like a big buzz, uh, feels more like an AI karaoke uh, in general, but the use, essentially what it is, is the use of data patterns for increasing productivity and automation. And what we saw that the fundamental requirements to this in, in French institution, but also more broadly, was not being addressed in terms of what data are you using. The data is at the, at the core of any sort of modeling that you may want to, to, to happen. So things like what data are you using? Who is it? You know, am I allowed to use it? And in there, we touched upon three main trends in terms of the current data practices and highlight ways in which data could be used in the industry and identify ways in terms of available data, um, maybe it's not used to start with without even going to acquire new data. And then the other one, we talked about the transparency and the privacy, uh, which is essentially a human right um, in our opinion. So people should have the option to consent and use their data for the specific purposes and even decide in terms of how much to give and for what. So that value exchange to be readily available. And, and, and lastly, we highlight the fact that there is a huge opportunity for trustworthy, accountable institutions to be essentially the standard bearers for better data use. Uh, we continue to partner, for example, in, in, in Canada, as we mentioned. Um, it's a country that has very strong banking system, very strong telcos, very strong retailers. And all, how does this data gets untapped um, as an asset and used probably to generate new economic models uh, as we move forward? So those are some of the things that we touch upon. But we take always, always the angle of the customer in the center, the customer centricity, empowering that customer and improving their lives through the angle of financial services. Yeah. And before we wrap up this round, so Scott and Rocky, and anything to add from your side on this topic? If we've got another five hours, I'd like to settle in, Patty. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> but briefly, if you have a, a point, and I want to kind of get into kind of more the crystal balling and what the future holds, but go ahead. Um. Well, I guess I just say one thing. I think that uh, I think that consumers deserve both ends of the spectrum: uh, ultimate uh, security and data privacy. On the other hand, and we haven't talked about it here. We're not quite ready to talk about it. Which is our B 2 C strategy for Future Vault. But if a consumer wants to disclose everything and anything about their life and monetize it, uh, then they have every right to do so. And so the technology needs to be built in that fashion, and the communication needs to be clear in a way so that people have comfort. They know where they land within that spectrum. But I think the whole spectrum is important to be available for everyone in the world. Good, good, good point. Um, lovely discussions, but and we've we've taken over the time. It's it's past the hour, so I want to kind of get into um, closing. But uh, what I typically do in these shows is to kind of go around the table for closing, just like we did the intros, uh, and 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 maybe take out your crystal balls, right? So we we talked a lot about what's happening and what will happen and what the potential is. But how do you see the future of customer engagement? The after pay, uh, after pay story seems to underline how important this is, right? But but you guys made a lot of compelling points as well. Um, will additionally will the customer evolve? Obviously, there's the big tech parity that banks and others are trying to match. But will the customer expectations evolve further with the decentralization, so to speak? We kind of talk about DeFi and decentralization or decentralized web in a big way, right? You will have an Uber, say, without an Uber, where it's kind of just a decentralized network where people are participating and, and adding value. What are some doomsday scenarios for privacy issues, um, especially for um, and 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 for community banks and mid-sized banks? Sometimes when we look at banks, and especially in Canadian context and stuff, we look at the top four, the top five, and stuff. But but banks would have smaller footprints, don't have big IT teams. How do they kind of compete in this world? The the mantra of high touch and high tech, right? Or high touch plus high tech. Um, how do they achieve that? So I want to kind of go around the table and, and get your thoughts on that. And in your closing remarks, also address, we have an um, audience and we'll have audience here that might be bankers and other partners and people who listen um, into the recorded version or our recap on Substack. What are some of the things that you are looking for in terms of partnerships and customers and, and a wide array? Like even if you're hiring, uh, where can they get more information um, from, from your companies? So who, who wants to go first on the closing round? I'll go. Go. Okay. So, Gerti, um, I mean, one crystal ball there's a lot of topics that we discussed obviously and we as one of my colleagues mentioned here will take too long to go through that but if we're just to look purely on a essentially the partnerships that financial institutions would have with fintechs and how that work out and how is it working right right now um like if you compare for example in general financial services within any other vertical it's an industry and we mentioned this before that you know over the past uh, at least from a customer experience perspective, over the past 200 years, it didn't evolve much um, for many reasons, and we talked about that. Um, 
and we had now some institutions, some is smaller, like the, the fintechs, which have enabled um, that change, that shift in customer experience, and that became a boom. So we saw an industry with tons of cash and some other players with the right technology and the right drive that created this essential revolution over the past few years. Um, and we, we have at least a few different types of fintechs. We have uh, point solution fintechs, which focus dramatically on process automation, like mortgage renewal, et cetera. Um, but we also have other fintechs that focus on uh, deeper tech and, and broader change. And as I mentioned very early in our conversation, the partnerships between these firms and financial institutions is extremely important um, because as we talked about, each organization has their own DNA. Like, um, for example, in, in, in the financial institution established big banks and insurance companies, tech and digital, it's a separate unit. And, you know, uh, they're different than, than software companies or big tech uh, from any perspective, from budget, from governments. And we have to understand that. And my colleagues mentioned some of those. Um, so it's very difficult for FIs to be tech companies and to capture the opportunity. So partnering and building complementary, not only technologies, but just skill sets and DNA in itself uh, will make a very, it's already making a very big difference in the financial services. Um, and so partnerships has been has some best practices and how to take the most out of your partners. And one last thing that I want to say is that, for example, banks, uh, they flourish in an ecosystem, right? So yeah, they have an ecosystem internally through different business units like the lending group, the wealth, uh, the wealth group, uh, the cards, et cetera. Um, the same thing, they function very well in external uh, ecosystems in terms of relationships with communities, governments, and so on. The same thing should hold true in terms of how you build the fintech, fintech ecosystem to surround your bank and how you make that ecosystem work and function to benefit all the different stakeholders. And I think that's what we're going to see, a tighter relationship as we move forward. Great. Yeah, no, well said. Um, who wants to go next? I'll, I'll go. Um, so, so first of all, regarding, you, you, you talked about privacy, and, and, and privacy regulations is, is something new, relatively new. It's a human, although it's a human right, but within technology and within, you know, how the world currently works and, and, and banks are working, there's no equilibrium. But but what I believe is that that will balance. It will take some time, um, uh, maybe even shorter than, than than we think. But it it will balance, and technology will help. Um, but and, and for us, um, you know, we are a startup. We look, uh, we, 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 we do that. Um, we see privacy as a, we started the startup from, from, from the point of looking uh, that, that something, something is, is working wrong. Um, and we were looking for, for, for a way to, to, to fix it. And, and, and then we found out that financial services are, are those that really need uh, this kind of, of technology. Um, our company, well, we're looking for partnerships. Uh, we're looking for connection to connect with with financial services. We already have clients which are banks, uh, insurance companies, uh, credit card companies. Um, 
in, in, as we grow, I think uh, our main focus now is to expand our network, um, definitely in the US. Uh, so looking forward to anyone who wants to connect, um, we'll be happy to. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I wanted um, to give you an opportunity to tell where, how people can reach you, right, with social media. If you have, you, have, you want to mention that as well as Gertie, um, that'll be useful as well. Yeah, you connect me uh, through my... Uh, uh, oh, there's some uh, connection issues. Through the, the LinkedIn, through uh, this platform, I'm available at, on, on my uh, email. Um, um, Paddy, can we can we send the email here, or is it being sent uh, somehow? Um, no, no, you. It's up to you. I mean, people give out just social media handles. I, I think that's good. Meaning, um, you have you can look them up on LinkedIn and 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 and, and Clubhouse and maybe Twitter as well. And um, you you can leave your email as well or announce it here. That that should be fine. Um, Gertie, um, give you an opportunity to kind of mention yeah. how people can find you. Thank you for that. I mean, if you go to flybase.com and our, our whole team is listed there, I'm there as well. It's probably the, the, the fastest way. In terms of the email, first name dot last name at flybase.com. So Gertie.dervishi at flybase.com. And of course, you know, on LinkedIn, uh, I'm always present there. You ask? So I'll, I'll, I'll just add that, it, uh, yes, you can contact us through the website. It's qprivacy.com. Uh, you can contact me directly at yoav, Y-O-A-V, at qprivacy.com uh, uh, as well. That's my email. So looking forward, please do. Great. Okay, um, closing remarks. Um, who wants to go next, Scott or Rocky? I can go. Leave Scott to close it up. Um, so as I think about the future, it's really, um, you know, from sort of the the perspective of what's, you know, going to be important to succeed, uh, you know, in the financial services space. Um, a few things. One, uh, Jeff Bezos was asked, you know, how do you think about change? How are you adapting to the future? What's, what's going to be next, et cetera? And and Bezos' answer was, uh, we don't think about what's going to change. We think about what's not going to change. And people, what's not going to change is people are going to want it cheaper. They're going to want it faster. They're going to want, um, they're going to want more choice. Uh, caution there is that how much people, you know, people want varying degrees of that. Um, you know, some people are willing to pay more to get better quality. Um, People are often willing to forego choice to make it simpler. Um, so there's a lot of trade-offs going on in there and understanding who your target customer is and what's important along those things, you know, from, from speed to price to data privacy um, is critically important. Second is the things that will never change is people are always going to want you to put their best interests first. They're always going to want to be treated fairly and honestly, and they are going to always be looking to have speed bumps removed, friction points taken out of the experience. And then the last thing I'd say is that um, figuring out the, the intersection between um, the digital experience and the human touch is going to be um, 
is going really going to be define the winners and the losers. Um, currently, um, the 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 best experiences that customers report, you know, in an overall relationship with a financial institution, is the ability to marry those two. You know, simplify the stuff that's routine. You know, digitize all the stuff that's routine, um, but where judgment is needed, where um, some validation is needed, et cetera. You know, those, those are things that machines can't do and, and people are going to need to be involved, uh, involved with that. Thank you, Rocky. Scott? Well, thanks, Patty. Uh, in terms of contacting me, either through LinkedIn, uh, Patterson spelled with one T. Uh, the Irish, I suppose, spell it with two T's and the Scottish, they say, were always so cheap they wanted to save on ink. So they only had one T, uh, but G Scott Patterson or a G dot Scott dot Patterson at futurevaultinc.com. If anybody's interested in being in touch, we'd be delighted to hear from them. I, I was going to take you up on your crystal balling and it'll certainly tie into our business model. But uh, I believe, and we believe that digital vault technology will become the centerpiece of every single financial services organization. And for one reason. So today it's more, oh, that seems like a value proposition enhancement uh, that might be good for marketing. I can see how that adds value here, et cetera. But the real key to it is that once you have certain artifacts that give rise to uh, a certain outcome, you don't need to repeat them. And I gave an example earlier, but once you have somebody's K1 or, 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 or W2 or a, uh, a tax return or an application in connection with a, a car loan or a mortgage, most of the key attributes that were required or the documentation and the evidence associated with obtaining that service or product are what you need for everything else. And so once you have it in a digital vault, and our solution is multi-tiered for the enterprise being the back office, for the front office that could be advisors, could be tellers, it could be managers, and all the way to the client. You just save so many steps and therefore it creates huge efficiencies, both operationally for compliance and all the way through to the eyeglass uh, example, you know, getting some new eyeglasses. And thank you for saying that the, that resonated with you. But that's the crystal ball that going forward, that'll be the case. And so what does that mean to the point that you said around the cost of um, being uh, competitive technologically? And I think that there's no question that the largest financial institutions in the world will build their own digital vault capability, mimicking much what we've already built, or they'll buy somebody like us or, or other players doing similar things. But everybody else, so call it, I don't know whether that number is the top thousand in the world or the top 2000, but everybody else, the it'll be too daunting to build that because the investment from a technology perspective is going to be measured in the hundreds of millions of dollars over time. And therefore, they are candidates to uh, outsource that service and partner uh, with players like us. But I think, you know, if I were to, to uh, crystal ball it, I, I think that it, it, it does end up in a world which I described earlier that's fantastic for consumers. They're going to end up getting access to products faster. And frankly, I think by virtue of the data being mined in some construct, which is a whole other call we could have, uh, they're going to get better deals. And frankly, that's better for the financial services companies as well because they can be more fine-tuned in terms of what their offerings are and how they can target uh, their audience to, to fit with whatever their products are. 
So that that's kind of my uh, overall thesis, Patty. And I want to thank you for including me in your uh, your podcast today. Well, thank you, Scott. And well, when banks become uh, ten companies uh, with these or other startups, or when privacy becomes a human right, and if high tech and high touch becomes the winner. Or if Digital Wall becomes the centerpiece offering, like our speakers talked about in, in their closing, we will be sure to be talking about them in our FinTech Talk show in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me thank all the speakers for sharing their views so generously. A um, little bit in my closing uh, for the FinTech Talk show schedule, go to fintechtalk.co. That's www.fintechtalk.co. We have some fabulous shows lined up in the coming weeks and months. Um, we usually have them at the same time, Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, not every week, but check out the schedule on the website. Um, we have Shield Mana, the co-founder of 500 Startups, Ryan Patel, um, um, he's a frequent contributor in CNN, kind of a, a multifaceted person. Um, he's coming up. Shamir Karkal, if you know him from the co-founder of Simple, which was the first challenger bank that sold to BBVA. They're all lined up in the coming weeks. So do do check out uh, the schedule and put it on your calendar. Um, our sub stack where we do the recap and the recording of this show will be available in, in a short while, um, like in a, a couple of days maybe, um, is fintechtalk.substack.com. So fintechtalk.substack.com. All these links are in my bio on Clubhouse. So feel free to click um, click the bio and get, get the links. Uh, definitely follow me, follow the FinTech Talk show, follow today's speaker. They did give out contact information. Reach out if you want to connect with them. Um, but that's it for today's show. I really appreciate um, everybody's contribution. And thank you. I'll leave the room open for a few few seconds until uh, we say all our goodbyes. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, Rocky. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, everyone. Thanks. Thank you, Patty, and everyone. Thanks. Thank you, thank you, Patty, and everyone. It was it was really great. Everyone, 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 it was it was really great. Everyone.